It's Friday, the 18th of September, and this is the Sustainable Futures Report. Are we at a tipping point? On the point of runaway climate disaster? A tipping point as mass extinction accelerates out of control? Or a tipping point as politicians and public realise that it's time to act? Hello, I'm Anthony Day. In the Sustainable Futures Report, I aim to bring you news of technological progress towards softening the blow of the climate crisis while reporting on events which demonstrate how that crisis is developing. This episode is mainly about the crisis and about changing attitudes. I've been concerned about the environment for years now. I've just watched the new programme by David Attenborough, Extinction, The Facts. Find it on BBC iPlayer. Don't miss it. I knew most of what he was telling us, but the graphic display of wildfires, overfishing, animal poaching, forest destruction, factory farming and the sale and slaughter of live animals in Asian wet markets shocked even me. One million species out of eight million on Earth are on the brink of extinction. Studies suggest that extinction is now happening hundreds of times faster than the natural evolutionary rate, and it's accelerating. Another statistic which amazed me is that 60% of the animals on Earth are farmed livestock, 36% are humans, that means that all the wild animals on Earth amount to only 4%. Why is extinction a problem? We'd all be sorry to see the polar bears, the elephants, the tigers and the whales disappear, But it wouldn't have any immediate effect on our lifestyles, would it? We're still less concerned about the loss of insects, worms or other bugs. But the stark point that was brought home by this programme is that everything is interconnected. And crucially, without worms, insects and microorganisms, the soil becomes sterile, unable to support life or to grow the food crops on which humanity depends. We are at the top of the food chain. If we kick away the foundations, the whole thing will collapse. Drenching the land with fertiliser is no substitute. It's the microorganisms that convert the fertilisers into a form available to the plants and the microorganisms which manage the moisture balance, which delivers nutrition to the roots. In fact, in some countries, faced with declining yields, farmers pour more and more chemicals onto the land to the extent of overuse which poisons the soil. Sometimes they then abandon the land, clear forests and start again. They can only go so far, as someone once said, land? They don't make it anymore. Vast areas of forest have been cleared in South America to grow soya, which is exported to China and also to Europe, as chicken feed. Commentators on Attenborough's programme said that globally we have enough land to feed the world without clearing any more. It's a question of land management and of demand management. We cannot continue to grow crops like soya and maize as livestock feed. It's a very inefficient way of delivering nutrition to humans. The nutrition in these grains is far greater than the nutrition that humans eventually receive by consuming the livestock. That's not an argument for vegetarianism or veganism, more an argument for moderation. Listen to last week's Sustainable Futures report for more on that. 
Attenborough's closing message was that what happens next is up to all of us. It's a message we've heard for years, and the average person in the street's reaction ranges from, well, what can I do? To, I'll do something when everybody else does, to, nothing I do will make the slightest difference. One of the most dangerous trends is the growth of the middle class across the developing nations. As these nations become more prosperous, they aspire to Western levels of consumption and Western diets. Our only hope of survival is to rein that in, which will be extremely difficult. The obvious reaction will be, how can you seriously deny us what you in the West have enjoyed for decades? We certainly won't do it unless we set an example. We won't set that example unless governments create an environment where all citizens are ready to manage their diets, their consumption and their energy use in an environmentally responsible way. Such regulation is anathema to many governments, particularly the populist governments in parts of Europe and in the USA. Even in more socialistic regimes, there is the issue of the Overton window. What's that? Well, the Overton window contains the range of government actions and regulations that the people accept as legitimate. So, for example, controlling smoking is firmly in the Overton window, as the majority of people are quite happy with heavy taxes on tobacco and restrictions on smoking. Penalising people for driving large and polluting cars is probably on the outer edge of the Overton window. Minimum alcohol pricing and sugar taxes seem to be moving further into the window. Raising the price of gas and electricity is not in the window, so the UK government has introduced a Green Homes Grant scheme to approach the overuse of energy from another angle. Rapid and far-reaching action on tackling the climate crisis appears to be well within the Overton window for younger people. They see the threat of climate disaster, their limited prospects of getting a job and declining chances of owning a home, and they are angry at the generations who seem to have it all and to have done little. It is that anger and frustration that drives the Extinction Rebellion protests and the school strikes. Anger shared by other generations concerned that those in power have done little to act in the face of the scientific evidence. Here in the UK, the government is looking for ways of stifling protest, even promoting the fatuous argument that Extinction Rebellion should be classified as organised crime, rather than examining the demands and the science and responding with reasons for acting or not acting. I've just seen a report which quotes a senior police officer complaining about Extinction Rebellion protesters going all floppy when they get arrested. Sir Stephen House, the Deputy Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, said the tactic of going limp was a flipping nuisance as it required extra officers to drag protesters away. I think that's the point, Sir Stephen. A recent message from Extinction Rebellion said Extinction Rebellion is not the story. With wildfires ravaging California, melting glaciers and the loss of 68% of wildlife since 1970, it has never been more important to keep the climate crisis at the top of the news agenda. At a global level, the key issue is whether governments have the inclination or the ability to take the measures needed to meet the climate challenge. I hope we reach a tipping point, and I hope we reach it very soon. There are, nevertheless, a few straws in the wind. As you know, 
Wildfires have been raging in the United States for weeks to the extent that they have become an issue in the presidential election. The debate is over around climate change, said California Governor Gavin Newsom. This is a climate damn emergency. This is real and it's happening. Joe Biden called President Trump a climate arsonist. CBS News reports that the West Coast had its most intense heatwave in modern history this year, followed by its most ferocious flare-up of catastrophic wildfires, which have now burned over three million acres. Meanwhile, just a few hundred miles east, a 60-degree temperature drop over just 18 hours in Wyoming and Colorado was accompanied by an extremely rare late-summer dumping of up to two feet of snow. It's not a coincidence, it's climate change, said CBS News meteorologist and climate specialist Jeff Berardelli. Scientists have been warning about these kinds of dystopian weather events for decades. In response to the head of California's Natural Resources Agency, Wade Crowfoot, the president said, it'll start getting cooler, you just watch. Crowfoot, an expert in climate and sustainability issues, replied, I wish science agreed with you, to which the president said, I don't think science knows, actually. The very fact that climate is being debated must be a good thing. Trump has called climate science a hoax. He has packed the Environment Protection Agency with sceptics, and together they have rolled back environment regulations. They've gone so far as to prohibit the use of phrases like climate change and zero carbon in official documents. And it is rumoured that these terms must not appear in the trade negotiations currently underway with the United Kingdom. Debating this issue brings it firmly into the public eye. Elsewhere, the Financial Times wrote this week that climate change remains an existential threat that could dwarf the pandemic in severity in the years to come. Earlier this year, oil major BP set a new ambition to become a net-zero company by 2050 or sooner and to help the world get to net-zero. The ambition is supported by 10 aims, 5 to get BP to net-zero, 5 to help the whole world get there. Google says it has wiped out its entire carbon footprint by investing in high-quality carbon offsets. It became carbon neutral in 2007 and says it is now compensated for all of the carbon it has ever created. Apple says it commits to be 100% carbon neutral for its supply chain and products by 2030. It claims already to be carbon neutral today for corporate emissions worldwide and the company plans to bring its entire carbon footprint to net zero 20 years sooner than IPCC targets. Great stuff, as long as you believe in offsets and that 2050 is soon enough. Nonetheless, climate issues finally have a high profile in the media, at least higher than this time last year. There's still a great deal to do and a long way to go. It's disappointing that COP26, the five-year review of progress on the Paris Agreement targets, has been postponed by 12 months from its planned November date. So many conferences and conventions have transitioned successfully into online events that it's difficult to see why COP26 couldn't have gone the same way. We need to keep pushing, pushing, until we're pushing at an open door, or maybe an Overton window. This week, 
the United Nations published its fifth Global Diversity Outlook report. Talk Radio took a very narrow view of it and complained that the UN was instructing everyone to become vegetarian or vegan. How dare they? Deirdre Lane, interviewed on the Sustainable Futures report last week, appeared on Drive Time with Dan Wooten opposite a representative from the Vegan Society and put them right. Of course, the report has far more to say than recommending a plant-based diet. There are 20 so-called Aichi targets named after the Japanese province where a 10-year biodiversity strategy was signed by all nations in 2010. This report comes at the end of that 10-year period, regrets that none of the targets will be met, and warns that this threatens the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals and undermines efforts to address climate change. Nevertheless, progress has undoubtedly been made, and six of the 20 targets have been partially achieved. By scaling up the progress already made, the authors believe it will still be possible to achieve the 2050 vision of living in harmony with nature. At the same time, they recognise that COVID-19 has not only upset everyone's priorities, but also further highlighted the importance of the relationship between people and nature. This echoes messages in the David Attenborough film. By invading hitherto untouched regions, we are laying ourselves open to unknown viruses. The present pandemic could be followed by other, more dangerous infections. Among other urgent actions, there is a need to strengthen national biodiversity strategies and action plans and associated planning processes, including their adoption as whole-of-government policy instruments. Urgent because the years remaining between now and 2050 are infinitely smaller than the blink of an eye in geological terms. Politicians rarely look further ahead than the next election and frequently no further than next week. We need to persuade them that this long-term action is a last chance. Attenborough's film talks about current fishing practices as prioritising short-term profits over long-term survival of fishing stocks. The universal message must be, when it's gone, it's gone. Forever. And finally, 150 people, including Stephen Fry, Mark Rylance, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and indeed best-selling author and Sustainable Futures Report patron, Manda Scott, wrote to the Observer newspaper last Sunday to protest at the suggestion that Extinction Rebellion is an organised crime group. Manda tells me that our next fight must be against ecocide. Ecocide is the mass damage and destruction of ecosystems, committed over decades and permitted by law, which has led to the global climate and ecological crisis. Treaties, agreements and civil lawsuits have all failed to prevent this. The late Polly Higgins, award-winning author, barrister and ecocide law expert, once said, The rules of our world are laws, and they can be changed. Laws can restrict or they can enable. What matters is what they serve. Many of the laws in our world serve property. They are based on ownership. But imagine a law that has a higher moral authority, a law that puts people and planet first. Imagine a law that starts from first do no harm, that stops this dangerous game, 
and takes us to a place of safety. And last year, Greta Thunberg said, we need to change the rules. Let's push on the Overton window and get those laws changed. And that's it for another week. I'm Anthony Day, and thank you for listening to the Sustainable Futures Report, listening indeed in rapidly increasing numbers. I must be doing something right. Of course, if you've got other ideas about what I should be covering, please get in touch. It's mail at anthony-day.com. I won't promise to use everything. There's just so much. But your support and interest is invaluable. Until next time. Thank you.